So a um, couple of quick stories that are related to each other. Um, back in 93, um, I got engaged to be married. And um, we were going to go spend our spring break two or three days in Tennessee telling my family, hey, we're getting married. And then we were going to drive... We drove from Columbia, South Carolina to Tennessee where we were going to spend a couple of days telling my family. Then we were going to drive back to Columbia, South Carolina, hop on a plane and fly to Texas and tell her family and it was just all going to be this great big deal and and Kelly was going to plan the wedding and I was just going to be my goofy self, probably not getting much done. But anyway, um, and so we, it started off all well. We drove to Tennessee and then we got there and if you I don't want to go too many details there, but they said, you know, we might get a little snow. And tennis, Knoxville is in a valley, very hard to predict the snow there. And um, it started snowing a little. And as the day went on, the weatherman kept getting more and more worried. You know what? This might be more than a, this might be three or four inches. You know what? This could be six inches of snow. You know what? This is huge, guys. This could be eight or nine inches. And by the time it was done, we had two feet, two feet of snow. And we needed to get back to Columbia. And so we start making plans. And we, long story short, um, we decided we'll drive south through Atlanta, Georgia, and go back to Columbia in time to catch a plane. And when we got to Chattanooga, they had literally closed the state of Georgia. Did you know you can close a state like that? No, you're just you're here. You're just not going anywhere else. We're just we're just shutting it down. Interstates closed. People were bringing food out to truck drivers because they didn't have any power. Cooking on their grills, giving hamburgers to the truck drivers. And so we spent our evening, you know, trying to find some, some you know, what we're going to do anyway. We finally made it. We found a plane there and flew to here, and um, the rest of the story was fairly smooth. Um, fast forward eight months, it's December, and we're going to come to Texas for Christmas. I'm working in a mail room, and I'm sorting mail, and I look up, and there's my wife walking in the door, and I'm wondering, how'd she get in here? I still to this day, I've never really asked her, how'd you get in here? How'd you even, how'd you even find me? Like, this is like a life insurance company, and we're sending out checks, and there's security. You know, she probably ninja her way through there, and <laughs> I need to see my husband. So, um, and I'm like, what are you doing here? And she's like, if we don't get in the car right now, we are not going to make it to Texas. And I said, why? She said, it's snowing. And I'm like, for real? She says, for real. I look at my boss, and he's like, get out. We'll do your work. She's already got the car packed. We get in, and... Um, it's in the evening, and you remember when you were young, and you could just jump in your car, and it didn't matter what time of day it was, and you could just start driving, and you could just drive for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, and through the night, and the sun would come up, and you'd keep driving. Remember when you were young, and you had that kind of energy? Oh, my word. Yeah, so, um, so we, we kept driving and driving, and it wouldn't stop snowing. And men, you're going to identify with me here. Women, you're going to identify with my wife. You kind of reach that point where you tell yourself, well, I've made it this far. I may as well keep going, right? So in Mississippi, well, it's still snowing in Mississippi, but let's keep trucking. You know, Louisiana, it's still snowing in Louisiana. Well, let's just keep trucking, you know, and you just keep going. And it snowed all the way to that town I always mispronounce. It's not Dibble, Dibble, thank you very much. I know how Texans are about pronouncing their towns, right? Yeah, there's this little Sonic in that town, and we pulled in there, and it was daylight. We drove all night long, 
and it snowed like past Nacogdoches for crying out loud, people. It's not, and I'm new to Texas. I've only been here once, but I know this. It doesn't snow in Texas. What is going on? What are we doing? So 1993, two snow trips. And this is what caught me was that, and I've been thinking about this this week. Um, this relates to Ruth, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know what we didn't have back in 93? We didn't have smartphones, right? And you know what's on smartphones is the Weather Channel app. And you know what's on the Weather Channel app? Radar, right? And you can go, oh, this will be done in an hour. I could have got on there and said, well, I'll be. It's going to be snowing to Texas. But I didn't know. You just jump in, no turning back. We're gone. We're doing this. And um, I thought about that a lot this week because I remembered, you guys remember, like even when radar like first came to the news, like in color, the image would often be like an hour or two old because their computers are so slow. They would say, this image is going to be updating in the next hour. Like they didn't even have like a Nokia flip phone worth of computer in their news station, right? And you'd go, well, and then finally it would update and they'd go, ooh, wow, the weather's changed, right? Do you remember those days? Um, it is amazing that you can get a picture in your pocket that will tell you, you know what, you probably should pull over. You know, let's get the big picture here um, and stop driving through the snow for 20 hours. This is bananas. Um, we, I kept thinking about this this week because the Bible gives us stories and you read them more than once. And if you love the book of Ruth, my wife loves the book of Ruth, and if you love the book of Ruth, you read the stories over and over again. And so you, you start in Ruth 1.1 and you already know how it ends in Ruth 4.22. You know how this is going to go, but you don't care because it's a beautiful, beautiful story. But the advantage is that when things are really, really difficult and it's, it's bitter and hard and there's weeping and it's just horrible, hard in chapter one, you've got, you know, the Doppler radar, right? You've got, you've got the story on the ground and there's a narrator though. And you know how this is going to go. And because you know how it's going to go, it's very easy to forget that the people in the story didn't know how it was going to go. And so we dive into Ruth today. It's so beautiful. Um, It's a story about going home. It's a story about whether you will turn around and go back And it's a story about the difference between the scene on the ground and the scene from up above. And it starts right off the bat with difficulty. (coughs) In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, so much to be said here, but so this we're we're pre-David, pre 
Saul, pre-Samuel, we're in the time before the kings, and you had these people called judges that God would raise up to, to lead the country, to follow him, and to lead the army, because generally what was happening in the book of Judges, if you know it, we call it the sin cycle. It's things are going well, but then we start becoming idolaters, we start disobeying, so God sends another country in to, to fight them and beat them up, and they go, God, this is awful, we are so sorry, we've blown it, please help, and God would raise up a judge, they would go out, they would fight, and they would win, and everything would be good for a while, and just, you know, then they would start being idolaters again, and they'd just blow it, and God would send a country, and they'd defeat, they go, oh, God, we're so sorry, please, do we don't, and they just do this over and over and over again, and um, just this cycle of things are going great, things are going um, horribly, raising up a judge uh, to save the day, and um, it's in that context that this story happens. Um, and it's in that context that there's a famine. So you can picture drought, you can picture no food, there's nothing to eat, you can picture this going on and on, and you can picture families are having to make decisions about what they're going to do. And so we come into a man in Bethlehem in Judah. And he has a wife, and it says, together with his wife and his two sons, um, they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Um, now, you read enough about Ruth, you'll have some old preachers who say that's where they made their first mistake. It's a sin to go to Moab to escape a famine. You stick around and you stick it out with your brethren. And I'm just like, ah, only people who write that are people who've never been through a famine. No, just kidding. But I'm just saying, I just, I don't want to be too hard on Elimelech, whose name we learn in the next verse. But, so you've got a husband, a wife, two sons, but they go to Moab. Now you go all the way back to Numbers, and you know Moab has been, well, actually you go further back than that. You go to Abraham and Lot. Um, Moab is kind of like, Moab is the cousin who doesn't show up at family reunions because they're so embarrassing. Uh, Moab is <laughs> Moab is from Lot and his daughter. Yeah, that's cringeworthy, isn't it? Yeah. But that aside, so I mean, if you did a DNA test, you know, there's a connection here. But that aside, they're coming through. And you remember the, the story in Numbers where the people in Moab, they see this huge flock of people, and they're like, oh my goodness, what are they going to do? And they hire Balaam to come and curse them, and he can't curse them. Right, that's the Moabites. And do you remember this story in Judges? Again, this is kind of like PG-13 stuff, but you remember there's, the Moabites are fighting, and they've got this huge king, king and this, he's like way, 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 way huge, and the left-handed dude puts the dagger here, and he sneaks in, and he sticks the dagger in all the way up and it's just the fat comes over and nobody knows he's dead he's just sitting there on his throne dead with his sword that's Moab that's Moab that's the Moabites these are just constantly and the Moabites as you're going to see don't just have a god small g Chemosh was their, their, their national god they have gods they have gods so these are pagans right pagan distant cousins again they're over in the corner at the family reunion we don't talk about them we don't talk about Moab um but off they go to Moab, and it says they go for a while. Maybe your Bible translation says they sojourned, which means that they probably had in mind, we'll go over there and just stick it out till this is over. Um, so what you would do is you'd go into another country, you would just find someone and say, hey, listen, if you'll just give us a roof over our heads and something to eat, 
we'll work for you. We'll help you. We'll do whatever you want. Um, just help us out. And so the man was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. Um, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephrathites. So they were from the tribe of Ephraim, from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab to live there. Now, verse 3, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. So we have a widow with two sons. And the two sons married Moabite women. So they're in the land. Um, While they're there, they're marrying age. And they find some Moabite women. One was named Orpah and the other Ruth. This is the point in the story where you, you go ahead and say, thank you, Lord, that the story works out the way it does. Because I know lots of people named Ruth, and the book of the Bible is named that. If it had gone another way, the name of the book of the Bible would be Orpah. And you, would, you wouldn't know anybody named Orpah. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of cool, just right off the bat there. Um, so picture now, you've got a, a widow, two sons with Moabite daughter-in-laws. Okay. After they live there about 10 years, they're there for a decade, Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So she's a widow with two daughter-in-laws and no sons. So, so far we have, just as a, a reminder, and we're not going to go down this path, we could, but we won't, um, we have the story of an immigrant widow. Do you remember the Minor Prophets? Right, it was about how Israel refused to take care of immigrants and widows and orphans, and they got in trouble for that. Well, the, here's the kind of people, right? We have Naomi, no husband. She's suffered three deaths, and now she has two Moabite daughters. And when Naomi, verse 6, heard in Moab what the Lord, that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. So she hears through the grapevine, God has heard the prayers of his people back home. And you can, you can get food now. The famine is over back in Bethlehem. It says she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. Now, that's an important word right here, the word return. The words return and going back or go back are going to be heard over and over and over again in this text. And this is the first one. Prepare to return home from there. And home is a very important word as well. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So you picture the three of them. They've got their belongings and they're just leaving wherever they're staying and they're walking out the road in the direction of Judah. This is going to be about a 40 to 50 mile trip, so they're going to camp, have to find hospitality or camp out or do something maybe three or four times if they're making 10 miles a day, and it's uphill. So this is a tough journey. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home, and may the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. 
So I don't know how far they go, but they stop. And Naomi looks at them and says, may God be as kind to you as you've been to me. May God be as kind to you as you were to my sons. And she uses the covenant name Lord, that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all caps. And may the Lord grant that you will find rest in the home of another husband. When you go back to your parents' home, may the Lord give you husbands so that you don't have to live the difficult life of a widow any longer. So she gives them a double prayer and says, return, go back, go home. Then it says, then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. Just stop and imagine, if you can just picture this from above, like, I don't know how far out they are, I don't know how far they've gone, but I'm just kind of picturing this. There's, if you're looking at this from above, there's just three ladies standing out on the road, weeping. It's a difficult scene. It says, they wept aloud, you would have heard them. They're kissing each other goodbye. And they're saying, no, we're not going back. We're going with you, and we're going to go to your people. No, no, back to your people. But Naomi said, no, here it is again, return home. Return home, my daughters. And here's the question. Why would you come with me? Why would you do this? And then she asked the question. And this is, this is from Deuteronomy. This is a principle of the time. There's a name for it, but basically the way it worked was, you, I'll read it. Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, says it again, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, that, that, that was what God had done. If, if, if a brother dies... His brother can marry the widow. She can marry her brother-in-law. He can redeem her, if you will. So she's saying, okay, if I got married tomorrow, got pregnant that night, had a baby nine months from now, and then you're just going to wait for that son to grow up and be your husband. Is that what you're going to do? No. No, that's not going to work. Why would you go with me? Why would you do this? No, my daughters, and listen to this line, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Do you see what Naomi is saying? She's saying, listen, my situation is hopeless. Yours isn't. If you'll turn around and go home, God may still have something good for you back there. You can't keep going forward. Let me go home alone. Because the Lord's hand is obviously against me, but it might be for you. In other words, she's saying there's nothing good ahead. All she could see was a fog. All she could see was darkness. In her bitterness, in her grief, in her sadness, in the difficulty of her life, she could not imagine anything good if these ladies went forward with her. She's hardly even imagined anything good for her because the Lord's hand is against her. What good can come of my life? Save yourselves. Go home. 
And at this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people. And look what she adds. And her gods. Go back with her. She's going to her family. She's going back to the gods her family worships. There's nothing for you if you keep going forward. I got a different family, and we got a different God. And he's not, it's not plural. We got one God. He's the Lord. He's Yahweh. Just go back, Naomi says to Ruth. And Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Don't, don't keep saying this. Don't keep begging me. Don't keep urging me. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. And then listen to this. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord, and she's using the covenant name here, the the name that a person from Bethlehem and Judah, a Jewish person would use, the covenant name Yahweh. May Yahweh deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Okay. And we'll see how this is going to turn out well, but we're doing this. So, we don't, we don't know what's happened to Ruth up to this point. We don't know if at some point along the line um, she's converted to the God of her husband, of her mother-in-law. But she knows his name. <laughs> his name is Yahweh. And she's made a covenant with her mother-in-law before him. I was pondering this week about home, like like, where is it? Like, when you were a kid, home is obvious, right? You got a bed and a place, mom feeds you, and all that. <laughs> um, then maybe one day you go off to college, and you tell your friends, I'm going home for the weekend. Because in your mind, home is still back there where that bed and your parents and your family is, and the place you grew up and went to elementary school and all that. Going home, right? Then maybe you get out of college and then maybe you get married and maybe you go to another state and then there's this thing that happens where your parents still live, maybe even in the same house where you always called home, where you went home for the weekend. And in this little, there's this little fight that happens in your head. Do you still call that going home because you're making a new home, right? And then you have your own kids. And then you, older your kids get, you go, no, I'll never call anywhere else home. This is where my wife and kids are. This is home. Wherever we are, this is where we are. And I, last, I went to Tennessee last spring for a, a wedding, and my big sister, she's 60, she'll be 
too. I shouldn't be saying my sister's age on, on the camera. But anyway, sorry, Janet. Anyway, <laughs> I apologize. Um, 62, and she just asked me, do you think you'll ever live in Tennessee again? And I'm like, if my kids did, you know. Like, <laughs> my kids are home. My wife is home, right? Home. And then you ask yourself, where will I be buried? Right? Now, the odds are against me here. I learned this the hard way, but at my dad's funeral, my mom was pointing out all of our burial plots. And there were four of them. Just so you know, I'm from a family of five. And just so you know, I'm the youngest. You guys can do the math and put two and two together on that little situation. So my brother and sister and I were going, well, not that I'm racing you for the burial plot, but I guess last one's rotten egg on this one, right? So you're like, <laughs> where am I going to get buried? I'm like, just scatter my ashes in the Smoky Mountains. I don't know. Just, right? Isn't it just strange to start thinking about that? And here's Ruth saying, listen, I want to be buried beside you. <laughs> That's commitment. That's like, no, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. And may Yahweh deal with me severely if I don't die beside, be buried beside you. The Jewish people are going to be my people, not the Moabite people. The God of your people is going to be my God. We're going to be home together. That's what she said the whole time. Naomi says, go back, go home, return home, return home. And, and Ruth is saying, my home is with you. Home is forward. I, and and I, don't, I know you can't see forward. I know it's foggy and dark and hopeless and helpless to you. But Naomi, I want you to know I'm going with you. So now the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. Imagine that day. So here's Naomi, 10 years older, no sons, no husband, walking in to her hometown with a Moabite lady. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Right? Everybody's on their phones. Hey, did you hear? What? I think Naomi's back. No. Yes, no, yes. I think it was her, looked like her. Except she had a Moabite girl with her. No, yes. <laughs> Everybody's like, Naomi, is that you? And listen to what she says. Don't call me Naomi. Now, if you've got a little footnote, we know that the word Naomi means pleasant. I, t I, I warned Naomi this morning, I am so sorry. I'm going to say your name over and over and over again. This is going to be so awkward. Yeah, <laughs> Naomi means Pleasant. And Naomi says, I don't want to be called pleasant anymore. I want to be called Mara. I want to be called bitter. Oh my goodness, the pain just in saying that. Because the Almighty, Shaddai, has made my life very bitter. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. And the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. 
I don't know if Ruth is standing there when she's saying back that, you know, the Lord brought me back empty. Ruth's over there. <laughs> what about me? Yeah. Right, I can, you just kind of have to sit in those sentences and feel the affliction and the grief and the pain that I don't even want you to call me by my name. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. And then a little teaser for next week. Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, that's next week. So let's think about this. Jesus is the author and pioneer of our faith, is the word. He's, he's the finisher of the faith. He has gone before us. He has gone before us and secured our hope, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, sat down at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus is called the, the pioneer of faith. He has lived this. He has gone before, and he's laid down an anchor behind the veil. We have hope. We are described in 1 Peter 2, 11 as sojourners, as foreigners in this world. We don't own, we are stewards. So Jesus has gone through and done the hard work. He has gone through the fog and the darkness on our behalf. He has been the pioneer gone ahead for us who are sojourners and foreigners. I know we just finished Revelation. I know we can read the rest of the story. I know that if you're looking at the radar from all satellite view, we know what's coming. At the same time, you may find yourself where Naomi found herself and you can't scan the next two chapters. Right? And I hate to ruin this story for you, but... We get to go and look at great-great-grandkids and stuff, and we get to see that this leads to Jesse and leads to David, and David leads to Jesus, which is going to take us into Christmas time. But this story ends amazingly. But Naomi doesn't know that. She, Ruth wasn't written yet, right? So she's in the story. She's in the middle of it, and she can't flip the page yet. She can't look ahead. And Ruth says, I'm not turning back. No turning back. You are home. So I am more than happy to have some grace for Naomi. And the, the, the thought that hit me this week was, we, we read this line here, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. It's very easy to read that and go, mm, I'm not sure if you should be talking about the Lord like that, Right? Did he do that? Blame it on the devil. You know, blame it on evil people. Um, right? But she's going straight to the source. She knows the buck stops there. I'm just going to skip over whatever other things might have been happening in between. And um, even if this famine was my people's fault, fault whatever that may be, I'm just going to go straight to Yahweh, our covenant God, and I'm just going to say, he's made my life bitter. And if that makes you uncomfortable, 
Um, well, there's a whole lot of theology there that we won't get into, but can I just say this? I think it took her a lot of faith to complain straight to Yahweh. Right? Instead of just saying, forget him altogether. I don't even want to talk about him anymore. I don't want to hear about him anymore. Don't even bring up Yahweh's name anymore. At least her complaint is poured out in the right direction, is it not? And sometimes in life, if I can be that for you right now in this moment, sometimes in life we just need a Ruth. We need a Ruth who says, well, I'm going this way. (laughs) And I know you don't know what's ahead. Maybe I don't either, but I'm going to be buried by you. (laughs) So no turning back. Off they walk for however many days, 40 miles. God is working all things together for good for you right now, right now. And I, I don't know if your next page will be worse, better, more difficult, easier. I don't know. I have no idea. But I do know that he's working all things together for good. And, and if we could do like, you know, they're in the story. If we can back up from our story, you know, get the radar view. Even if we saw more storms coming, we could say God works all things together for good. And he's doing a thousand things. We're going to see by the time this story's over, we're going to go, how did he do that? How did he do that? How in the world did he bring a Moabite woman together with, how did he, like so far, it's a how did he do that? And Well, you get to two, three, or four. How did he do that? Because he's Yahweh. He's Lord. The self-existent I am, and he's working all things together for good, for his glory, and he's doing it right this moment. So I don't know what you see, like if you're like at the border of Judah right now, and you're going, all I see before me is bitterness. I just, I want to be Ruth for you right now and just say, um, complain to the Lord if you have to. But keep complaining to him and just keep taking another step. And be thankful for the people around you um, who are in a moment of trusting him for you. So Naomi is basically living off of Ruth's faith in this story. Right? And sometimes you got to have a Ruth. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Lord, um, I want to thank you that for Creekside Bible Church, um, I know we just had a a difficult Ask the Elders meeting and we talked about um, a little bit of fog for our future and um, I thank you that nothing's foggy for you, that you always see clearly. And I thank you that for Creekside Bible Church, you're working all things together for good in this very second. And I pray that you would just um, help us to take the next steps, whatever they are, no matter how hard they are. I pray that you'd help us to take next steps 
And Lord, for the people in this room right now, Lord, if there are people who are, who are tempted right now who, who just to not even give you the time of day, I pray that at the, at the very least you'd help them to pour out their complaint to you. Lord, what did, what, did, what did we read? The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who call on him. Lord, you're near to the brokenhearted in this room right now. I pray that you'd help him to call out to him. And I pray, God, that there would also be in this room Ruths. And I pray, God, that we would be the type of Ruth the people in our lives and that we would be the kind of people who just know turning back and you're our home. We thank you, Lord, in all caps, Yahweh. We thank you for being our covenant God. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our pioneer, for going ahead of us. Help us to trust you in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.